0: Hi everybody, it's Derek and this is Foreign Exchanges for May 21st, 2021. Hello and welcome. Uh, Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, If you are a regular Foreign Exchanges listener, welcome back. If you're new, And you haven't heard of foreign exchanges before, please come check us out, fx.substack.com. We've got a whole newsletter podcast thing going on. Uh, while you're at Substack, you could also check out Discontents, which is a uh, collective newsletter that FX is a part of. It's got a number of other folks at Substack and uh, a couple of folks not at Substack uh, who are involved in that effort. Uh, it's discontents.substack.com. Uh, FX is also a part of Opt Out, which is a, a nonprofit, independent news app Uh for uh again it's kind of uh you can check out at uh, optout.substack.com they also have their own substack or you can go to uh, www.optout one word o p t o u t .news uh, check out their app you get all kinds of great um, outlets interesting perspectives and on the news and uh, uh, it's all right there on your phone or your tablet and uh, it's really it's really a great project uh, so check those guys out all right, with those plugs, uh, let's move on to, th- to the, this week's episode. Uh, certainly the biggest, most prominent event in uh, world news the last couple of weeks has been the Israeli bombardment of Gaza. Uh, preceding that, there were the uh, Israeli police attacks on uh, Ramadan worshippers at Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem. There's been the ongoing saga uh, of the Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, residents being pushed, forced out of their homes, displaced by Israeli settlers. Um, I have two people this week uh, who I will be interviewing to discuss uh, the events in Gaza and the context in which uh, they've taken place, uh, the overall Palestinian struggle. Uh, The first person we'll be talking with is uh, Sandra Tamari of the uh, Adala Justice Project, which is based here in the United States and works to sort of raise awareness about Palestinian issues and try to change the discourse in the United States around them. After I speak with Sandra, I'm going to be joined by Doreen Hussein. Darin is a, a master's of public policy student at the University of Oxford. Uh, she spent part of her youth in Ramallah, worked in development uh, in the Palestinian territories, uh, and she's uh, been organizing... Uh, demonstrations at Oxford and done a, a good deal of work to try and, uh, again, sort of change the the discourse around Israel and Palestine, uh, where she's able to. And, and so she's going to talk about her experiences, uh, you know, experiencing the occupation firsthand uh, and the work that she's been doing Uh, to try and focus attention on what's happening. The real underlying issues, not just the rockets and the missiles and the bombs, but the underlying uh, kind of violation that is going on on a daily basis uh, under the occupation. So uh, with that, uh, let me get Sandra on the line and we'll start the interviews. Okay, I am now being joined by Sandra Tamari of the Adela uh, Justice Project. She's the executive director uh, and somebody who uh, I think can really dig into the, uh, not just the situation in Palestine, but the politics of it here in the United States and kind of uh, the struggle to get people to understand what's really happening. Uh, Sandra, thank you so much for coming on the the, the program.
1: Thank you, Derek. Uh,
0: just to kind of ground people as we're recording this um, on. Friday morning. Uh, what uh, is the situation right now in Gaza? Uh, to, uh, last I saw, the ceasefire seems to be holding, but there are uh, there's reports of police attacks at Al-Aqsa again, undoubtedly to sort of make it clear that nothing has changed about the occupation despite the events of the last two weeks. Um, but have you seen anything or, or heard anything more than that uh, in terms of what's going on right now?
1: Well, we're all breathing a huge sigh of relief about the secession of bombing, um, 11 days of bombing, um, relentless bombing on Gaza. Um, I understand that now the death toll in Gaza is up to about 233 people, um, 66 children. Um, we, you know, Palestinians everywhere around the globe have been um, feeling... Helpless and uh, just devastated by watching all of this unfold. And you know last night, I was on a call with uh, a young uh, woman in Gaza, and you could hear the fireworks outside. You could hear the celebrations that were happening. so we're we welcome the ceasefire. Obviously, this was uh, the first step. we We know that um, this doesn't mean the end of violence because Israel has repeatedly violated ceasefires. Um, we we know this from experience um, after the bombardments of Gaza in 2014, 2012, 2008. Um, and even if the bombs start falling, it doesn't mean that it's the end of the violence. And as you noted, you know, today, Friday, um, at Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, there have been brutal attacks on worshippers there. The um, the attacks on the families of Sheikh Jarrah can continue today. Um, there's still live fire being fired at protesters um, in in the West Bank. And uh, terrible, sweeping arrests of uh, Palestinians um, inside Israel, inside the 48 territories. Um, and that is not getting a lot of coverage. Um, as you know, everyone knows, the Palestinians engaged in a historic general strike on Tuesday, May 18th, um, Palestinians across uh, all of the land from the river to the sea participated in that in that strike, and you know there's just this feeling of unity, this feeling of no no going back to the fragmentation of our situations. Um, so while we we welcome the cessation of uh, the bombs on Gaza, um, we have a long way to go to getting to um, a re of our of our society and a and a true um, and true freedom for the Palestinian people.
0: I want to go back to before the fighting in Gaza started and the the immediate precursors uh, to this, which you've as you've mentioned, were the um, the situation in Sheikh Jarrah, uh, the violence. Um, Not just at Al-Aqsa in the last couple of days before the the shooting started, but prior to that, sort of the uh, Israeli police blocking up the Damascus gate and engaging in, you know, nightly uh, confrontations with people who, you know, as as is traditional, we're trying to uh, congregate there during Ramadan. Um, You know, this just sort of arbitrary sense that we're going to interfere with that. to you know, make it clear. I think that uh, who's in charge. I guess um, as you look at those things, and it, it strikes me that you know Westerners pay a lot of attention to Israel-Palestine when there is a conflict, when there is sort of an open flare-up, and you know uh, missiles are falling and bombs are falling. Uh, we don't get a lot of coverage, and we don't, I think, pay a lot of attention to the sort of everyday. Um, violations that go on under occupation. Um, as somebody who you know works in this area and tries to educate people in in uh, the United States and in the West about what's happening, what do you say to people about uh, you know some of these things about Sheik Jarrah, about the, the violence at Al Aqsa, um, to to kind of you know make them understand what it's like to be under the occupation? The
1: the situation is. Is unified, and I think that this is what we're hearing from Palestinians in Palestine, that the goal of the Israeli regime has always been the takeover of Palestinian land without its native inhabitants. So control of the land from all of the land um, while pushing Palestinians out in in various ways. So what, we, what we're seeing in, in Gaza particularly is the caging in of uh, 2 million people, 80% of whom are refugees from villages and places just over that barrier um, inside of Israel. Um, why are they being penned up? Why have they been under siege for 15 years? The reason is because Israel Desires to maintain a demographic majority. Um, and Palestinians don't fit um, if you want to keep uh, Jewish numbers high inside of Israel. So the, they are being penned in for that simple reason. Why are Palestinians being pushed out of Sheikh Jarrah, a neighborhood in East Jerusalem? Because Israel desires to Judaize the whole city. And, and this is. Sheikh Jarrah is really just part of a larger um, scheme of pushing Palestinians out of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalemites have been losing their right to live in that city um, for decades now, and have been being pushed out. Um, And in the West Bank, you're seeing Palestinians um, cantonized, divided, uh, subjected to hundreds and hundreds of checkpoints. Unable to reach their agricultural lands, um, families divided um, one from the other by Israel's apartheid wall that was built, um, and then finally, in you know, the pa- Palestinian situation is one of a ref- is a refugee um, issue as well, um, with most Palestinians living outside of the homeland, um, more than half, um, and Israel maintains that they cannot return to their homes. For that same reason, to to keep the land without the
0: people. In in terms of, um, I guess some of the obstacles that you encounter uh, in your work at uh, Adala and, and kind of you know in general in this field, um, what are some of the the biggest challenges uh, that you face in terms of? Um, you know, there's the efforts to sort of silence people who want to uh, speak on behalf of the Palestinians. People who want to, uh, you know, you're sort of forced to run this gauntlet in a sense of of kind of there's a checklist of arguments that people will will throw against you, and and at the end of that is just a kind of basic accusation that you're engaging in anti-Semitism. Um, and and as you and as you sort of Struggle against a political and media establishment. I think that is, you know, has over decades uh, been h- and laser focused on on one side of this story. Um, what are what are the biggest challenges, and and how do you tackle those things in in the work that you do?
1: Well, I'm I take great hope in that we have, you know, here in the U.S. a Palestinian um, diaspora that is unequivocal. And loud and unapologetic about full rights for the Palestinian people and for their right to return. So you know what we're seeing uh, now in the U.S. are sweeping protests in every um, in every city. Um, thousands of people have been turning out, and they will continue to turn out because now I think there's been a break in the dam. In that we understand that we have we have solidarity, we have broad sections of the US public that are with us. Um, and all the intersectional and joint struggle work that Palestinians have been engaging in for some time, are. They were, we're just reaping those rewards and, and people are showing up for us and understanding that Palestine is not a complicated issue um, and that these old threats of, you know, uh, of these old accusations these smears of anti-Semitism, the smears of terrorism um, are, are falling on deaf ears at this point point. and so I think that we're, we're at a tipping point and we just have to make sure that we keep pushing through on a personal level it's beautiful for me because we've been doing I've been doing this work for some time and just seeing the the networks that we've created the relationships that we've nurtured um, really, Paying off in this moment?
0: I want to go back and, and I, I, I want to get into sort of your um, take on the way that the, the US kind of handled or mishandled the events of the past couple of weeks, you know, in the context of a broader US Israel Palestine policy. But um, I want to go first uh back into Israel Palestine it's something that you have already brought up which was the general strike on Tuesday um it's it's sort of inherent in the story that you tell about the Palestinians and and you know it's it's been inherent you know kind of implicit in in what you've been saying so far uh that there is this very explicit divide and conquer strategy that's engaged you know been engaged by the Israeli government there's you know a conscious effort to separate certainly Gaza from the West Bank, but then to, uh, you know, separate East Jerusalem out and kind of mark that off to split the the splinter the West Bank, kind of divide it up with uh, geography, highways, you know, settlement construction into, uh, you know, little balkanized areas. And I think, you know, at a broader level to separate and divide, Palestinians in Israel, Palestinian citizens of Israel, from Palestinians living in the occupied territories. Um, do you feel like that the general strike on tuesday and and the solidarity that that was apparent uh, that has been apparent, do you think that's a, a turning point? Is it uh, something that surprised you in any way or or you know, was uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, unexpected. What 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 is your kind of sense of of that piece of this this story?
1: Well, it's really a returning to the roots of how Palestinians have viewed their struggle. You know, the, the unity of Palestinian society has always been central. Um, the manifesto that was issued on Tuesday, I think, is a, an amazing document of of uh, Palestinian resolve, the dignity and hope manifesto. These are one of these. Um, we called them Bayan in, in Arabic. It's an announcement that's issued to the country. Um, these were this was a tradition during the first and second Intifada, where um, the leadership uh, sends out, you know, the spirit of the people. And this document really talks about this these divisions and talks about the fragmentation of the Palestinian people that you know is part of the colonial project um, that Israel has engaged in. Um, you know, that each of us has been thinking of ourselves as having our own unique struggles um, against uh, Zionist, you know, colonization of our lands and our erasure from the land. Um, but it was just, it was this, this assertion that um, we are all struggling in the same way and and really a call for decolonization. And I think, you know, beyond what this means for like our struggle against um, Israeli colonization. It also is a really important, you know, way. It's been an important moment in throwing off the the terrible uh, legacy of Oslo. Um, Oslo sound, the Oslo Accords signed in 1993 were an attempt to, you know, create uh, some kind of autonomous zones in parts of the West Bank, perhaps Gaza, um, but it really propped up a Palestinian Authority uh, that um, you know was doing security collaboration with the Israeli state, um, and you still see the Palestinian Authority playing a role in trying to put down protest um, in Ramallah and places that they have um, they have control. Um, I think that the the reign of Oslo and the reign of uh, that kind of repression from within is over, and I think that all of these things are um, pointing to really a new kind of of struggle. Um, it's new in that um, we feel like we have international solidarity with that, with that message um, for full decolonization, um, but it is, it is going back to the roots of, of what Palestinians were saying um, from the beginning, um, from the Nakba of 1948, that our liberation requires um, an end to Zionist supremacy.
0: Uh, one piece of this that that uh, I think has maybe caught people off guard, at least you know, in the in the media and and in the West, has been uh, the violence in Israel. And you sort of you know you have these images, these videos of wing um, Israeli mobs, kind of you know. Um, going into Palestinian neighborhoods and and damaging property and attacking people. Um, Do you, um, but at the same time, that's kind of gotten lost um, as the focus has been on on Gaza. I think that that piece of the story has been lost. Uh, What is your sense of kind of where things are at an intercommunal level uh, in Israel, are, are is this you know are these tensions going to continue? Is this something to uh, to be aware of moving forward? Um, will it subside with you know with a ceasefire in Gaza? How how do you feel? Uh, you know what do you feel about that aspect of of things?
1: Yeah, it's you know it's important to remember that after 1948, about 100,000 Palestinians. Managed to stay on the land, not be pushed out, as most Palestinians were at that point um, in the territories that Israel um, occupied in '48. Um, these Palestinians became citizens of the state, um, much like, you know, what happened in the U.S. Another settler colonial, you know, regime. You know, the native people, you know, citizenship was imposed upon them, um, it did, but it did not guarantee, you know. Uh, sovereignty it did not guarantee equal rights. It did not guarantee, you know, sovereignty over the land. So, twenty percent of Israeli citizens are are Palestinian, and this is the fig leaf that Israel has used. That you know, we treat Palestinians fine. Here we are. They they can they can vote in elections. They can run for office. They can serve as members of Knesset. Um, and they have, you know, access to professional opportunities, right? Um, the reality has always been that the tactics that Israel uses in its military occupation are the same tactics it uses uh, against Palestinian citizens of the state. Um, Palestinian citizens of the state have been um, subjected to legal regimes that determine where they can live have been subjected to legal regimes that determine um, who they can marry and bring to live with them in the state. Um, these laws have been documented by Adala, the legal center, in their uh, discriminatory law database, over 65 laws that Israel um, has enacted. And you know, all of this came to a culmination in uh, 2018 when Israel passed the Jewish nation state law, which you know, states that only Jews have the uh, right of self-determination in all the land. So, you know, this idea that Palestinians and Israeli Jews have lived in harmony, um, you know, I think that myth has has been shattered in in the events of the last week. You know, we saw Jewish settlers coming into Haifa, Lid, Akka, um attacking lynching Palestinians on the street attacking Palestinian institutions and buildings um, and when Palestinians talk about settlers now they they are not only talking about those that are coming from you know these extremist religious groups in the West Bank they're also talking about people that surround them they they see the whole all of the land is settled so it, uh, as you know have been having been settled by you know by Israelis so you know there's a really ch- there's a there's a big change in discourse. There's, you know, the return to terms like liberation, uh, return to terms like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And I know that for many people that that terminology has been associated with, you know, elimination of Jews from the land, but it's really the very opposite. It's really a, a call for decolonization. And what that means is that there's a liberated future for everyone. Uh, living on the land, and I think that, you know, Palestinians within that uh, have been, you know, the citizenship has been forced upon them, do not see themselves as separate from the people of Gaza, do not see themselves as separate from the people of Jericho. You know, there's this uh, this strong, strong um, spirit of um, common cause and and common struggle.
0: Going, taking, taking us, you know, back to the the United States. There's a, a couple of aspects of this I, I want to ask you about, and, and you know, things that that you are intimately involved in at Adala. Uh, um, one is, what have you seen in terms of the media coverage? Um, has there been anything that's sort of um, given you some Optimism that the the discourse is changing at a at that level at sort of the elite media level. I know there's still a lot of the tendency to use words like clashes and uh, you know things that imply parity where none really exists. Um, But on at the same time, I feel like there's been more pushback against that sort of thing than I've seen in the past. There's been uh, you know efforts a lot of the, a lot of in a lot of ways via social media uh, to sort of get around the kind of gatekeeping and show people what's really uh happening even before the the Gaza violence started the, there were you know videos that were circulated of Israeli settlers you know moving into people's homes in Sheikh Jarrah and just the sort of uh, unbelievable kind of scenes of that i think uh were very effective on people or had a, had an effect on people um talk about the sort of tenor of media coverage over the past couple of weeks and whether you feel like it, there's there's been any change or or possibility of uh change in in that discourse
1: yeah it's been really interesting to watch i mean obviously a long way to go um the new york times uh is one egregious by- um
0: in many ways okay? not not just on this issue but yes yes on
1: many issues you know they they don't <laughs> seem to be able to find their active voice
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: palestine
0: funny um, how that it's works always
1: you know um buildings fall buildings bombed <laughs> who who is bombing the buildings you know never you never naming the aggressor um but i think you're right it's the social media conversation that is really shifting things you know you you see even you know um I think there was a, a live reporter on CNN who said, oh, clashes, oh, wait a second, I'm not allowed to say clashes, you know, to so the, the social media um, that Palestinians have been putting out about, this is the language you need to use, this is not a, a two wars, this is, you know, two warring people, this is not a both sides issue, that um, you have to take into account the power imbalance um, I think that is reaching up uh, into the media. And then, you know, I want to give all um, credit really to um, the youth of Sheikh Jurah. I mean, Muhammad and Mona al Kurd, who are uh, twenty three year old twins who are defending their home uh, in Sheikh jurah along with, you know um, dozens of other families, um, have had an amazing impact. Um, their social media presence,, um, because it is so honest, because it is so um, heartfelt, and because they're just so, um, you know, savvy, right? They just are are approaching these things um, on their social media. And when they are included in in mainstream media with such honesty and humor um, and, you know, just, you know, power, that that has just really shifted. Um, When you see Muhammad on, the media turning the tables, and 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 you know when he's asked about missiles coming out of Gaza, you know just you know really pushing back and saying I'm the one that's being dispossessed. How can you um, how can you fault um, a, a besieged people um, who have been blockaded for 15 years under occupation for over 50 and dispossessed for over seven decades? How can you fault them for for trying to survive? And I think that this is really the shift that we're seeing.
0: On the same, on a similar topic, I should say, a related topic, then there is the official response, the government response. Um, I feel like there is some change in the, the political discourse around Israel-Palestine in, in right now, you know, mostly being driven by um a, a, a fragment of the democratic party you know a, a few kind of democratic house members and you know um other folks who are more willing and more able to speak kind of openly about the occupation and and the you know talk about that as the root cause of this this struggle um you know as opposed to the, sort of the traditional narrative that it's all Hamas and they're just fanatical terrorists and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, though, the the upper echelons of this and, and you know, going all the way to the Biden administration, certainly uh, are, are still very, I think, stuck in the, the traditional narrative. There was that scene I, I'm sure you saw, uh, you know, I think it was last week when Ned Price, the State Department spokesman, was asked, Uh, You know, you keep talking about Israeli right to self-defense. Did the the Palestinians have a right to self-defense? And he was unable to bring himself to, you know, articulate even a basic, that basic human right, uh, you know, and, and attribute it to Palestinians. Um, so, I, you know, I think there's a lot, as you said, there's a lot of work to be done here. Uh, but do you see, you know, what have you you made of the, the U.S. response in particular and, you know, the international response more generally, again, the sort of the same way, do you see a, any kind of a change happening or, or is it uh, still mostly uh, kind of the traditional narrative?
1: You know there there are there are movements. Obviously, you know I don't think any Palestinian is wagering that it'll be the U.S. government that liberates us. <laughs> but we do. We're just asking simply that uh, the U.S. government uh, cease to uh, be complicit. Um, and you're seeing moves toward that um, for um, a call to condition at least condition U.S. funding to Israel. Um, Really strong moves now um, to challenge weapon sales, the latest weapon sales to Israel. Um, the Biden administration um, is set to approve a direct commercial sale sale of um, bombs from Boeing uh, Corporation to the Israeli government, seven hundred and thirty five million dollars. Um, you know just to just yesterday, the House introduced um, a joint, resolution of, of disapproval. Um, we're learning that 15 members of the House have signed on to it. That's not a huge number, but it's significant. This is the first time that um, weapon sales to Israel has been challenged. Um, you know, On the Senate side, Bernie Sanders has introduced um, a similar resolution, um, and that will go to a vote because uh, in the Senate that can be forced to a vote. So we will have a moment where um, the Senate will have to you know, record whether they're okay with u uh, s. bombs continuing to go to the destruction of whole families in Gaza. Um, we you know we'll have we'll we'll know. And I think that this is going to be an important moment for building. Um, if you if you're a senator and you say that's yeah, it's it's okay with me to continue to kill Palestinian children, for the Israeli government to continue and for us to be paying for it, and for us to be providing the munitions um it's going to be a moment of truth and um i i look forward to that um that discomfort that they're going to be facing
0: in your opinion after you know you know the, the, these most recent events uh, in the the palestinian struggle what do you see happening in the future um you know it feels like Groundhog Day, in a sense. I mean, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu has probably salvaged his political future with with this war, or at least extended it a bit. Um, the The effort to rebuild Gaza certainly, you know, there will be an effort to rebuild, but uh, it seems unlikely that we're going to talk about the underlying issues, the blockade, the the siege um let alone sort of the uh, the underlying issue to that which is the occupation in general um and yet you know it, you've you've mentioned you know we've talked here about some things that do seem to be changing for the better um but they're sort of long term kind of you know on the on the timeline uh kind of down the road things in terms of actually having an impact um i wonder how Optimistic you are that that any of the events of the past couple of weeks are going to um, change the course of of this this conflict.
1: No doubt, no doubt that things will not go back to the way they were. I mean, already you see a change. You know, at the end in 2014, when uh, the bombing stopped, um, the Israeli assault on on Gaza stopped. Um, you saw things die off, and already today you're you're seeing um, responses that the ceasefire is only at the beginning. That um, until we have a full lifting of the siege on Gaza, until we have um, an end to the discrimination that's faced by Palestinians inside of Israel, until you see, um, you know, full sovereignty for the Palestinian families of Sheikh Jarrah. Until you see an end to military occupation um, in the West Bank and, and a return of refugees, that this you know that we we won't stop. Um, we also are seeing you know huge shifts in the way that progressive organizers and progressive organizations are viewing this, um, that they're willing to call for sanctions. You know we had statements from the movement for Black Lives, from Sunrise uh, Movement from move on, you know, really questioning um, U.S. funding um, to this regime, uh, to this violence. And so, you know, it doesn't go away. Um, we will we will see in the next week or so uh, the story fade from mainstream media. Um, we'll see, you know, people not going to the streets as much as they have been. Um, but... The reality is is that we've taken a huge leap forward in the way that people are thinking about this issue, and um, we don't need everyone. Um, We know that when uh, South African apartheid, when the US finally uh, moved to to sanction the apartheid regime in South Africa, um, it was not every member of Congress that was pushing for that. It was a small cohort of of really vocal uh, members of Congress. Um, backed by strong grassroots movements, and and I, we're on the right track um, for liberation of Palestine, and and we're going to keep pushing in that direction.
0: Talk a bit about the work that Adala does. Um, you know, I mean, we've we've sort of been focused on the micro here, in a sense, and and just uh, recent events, but this is an ongoing organization, it's an ongoing struggle. What 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 is Adala? You know, tell people about that and and you know how can people uh help? How can they get involved uh in in the work that you're doing?
1: Yeah, thanks for that question. You know, the Adala Justice Project is a young uh, Palestinian organization. Uh, we're based here in the US. Um I myself am based in St. Louis um and our, you know, I often get the question why St. Louis we we are a Palestinian organization that believes in collective liberation. So we are doing cross movement work. Um, my my most recent you know on the ground activism uh, came out of the Ferguson uprisings um, in the aftermath of the murder of Mike Brown in 2014. Um, Palestinians were on the ground uh, here supporting that uh, that rebellion against state sanctioned violence. Um, And we really are just trying to help people understand that Palestine is an important lens for them to understand colonial practices here in the U.S. um, And for them to understand that um, Palestine is not just an issue that's far, far away um, and really unremoved from uh, what's happening here in the U.S. Uh, So, you know, making connections with indigenous struggle and making connections with uh, the fight for immigrant justice Fights against, you know, the the border wall, um, at the southern border of the U.S. Um, really pushing forward this idea that racial justice has no borders, and that if we're we're calling for uh, defunding the police, we have to be thinking about U.S. imperialism. We have to be thinking about how much money goes to the military, how much money goes to uh, regimes like Israel that uh, that perpetrate violence in our names. And, and the idea, too, that this money can be used here to uplift our communities. Like We have plenty of money for health care for all. We have plenty of money for student forgiveness. We have money to invest in impoverished uh, neighborhoods here in St. Louis and around the country. Um, and so that's the work that we do, helping people make those connections and understand that Palestine is, um, is part of their vision for a better world.
0: I think uh, that that is a good place to leave it. I'll put a uh, I'll put certainly the the link to Adala's uh, homepage in the show description so people can uh check that out for themselves and and um you know see how they can um, try to get involved more in this struggle um and uh you know participate in it. I I want to thank you Sandra for coming on the program. I think this has been um very Illuminating for people, I hope it has been uh, in terms of understanding the the nature of the struggle and the nature of uh, what's going on in in Israel Palestine and the work that you're doing uh, here in the U.S. to try and you know try and uh, build awareness and get people active. Uh, so again, thank you, uh, thank you for coming on the program.
1: Thank you so much, Derek.
0: Once again, I want to thank Sandra Tomari from uh, the Executive Director of the Adala uh, Justice Project uh, for uh, sharing her thoughts with us. Uh, moving right along so we don't uh, hold things up here, uh, I'm being joined now by Dareen Hussein uh, from the University of Oxford. Okay, I am joined now by Doreen Hussein. She's the Chevening Scholar uh, and an MPP student at the University of Oxford. Oxford, oh, did I say Oxford? Sorry. Uh, I could go back and change that or I'll probably just leave it in to make myself sound like an idiot because people like that. Um, <laughs> so uh, Doreen is the achieving Scholar and MPP student at the University of Oxford. Uh, she's previously worked in development. Uh, she's from, grew up, lived uh, in Ramallah um, and uh, is very familiar with the kinds of issues we've seen over the past couple of weeks. So I'm very happy to have her on. Uh, Doreen, thank you for coming on the program.
2: Thank you, Uh having-
0: First, oh, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, first of all, uh, to give people a sense of what's going on as we're recording, because I'm sure by the time people listen to it, the situation will have changed, hopefully, not too dramatically, but. Possible. Uh, where do things stand right now as we're recording kind of Friday afternoon, your time, Friday morning, my time? Um, you know, what are you uh, aware of is happening kind of on the ground? And, and uh, you know, the ceasefire seems to be holding. I've seen reports in the last few minutes of another police uh, assault on Al Aqsa. I'm not sure if you've seen those, uh, but kind of tell people what's your sense of, of where things stand.
2: Yeah so um last night of course ceasefire has uh, started uh, between uh, Hamas and, uh, and Israel and uh, at the moment of course people are waiting to see what will be happening in the next few days but uh, it's not about the ceasefire it's about the continuous policies and um, and attacking the Palestinian people in the occupied territory, whether it's in, in the West Bank or Gaza. We've noticed in the past couple of weeks that um, many families were forced to leave their homes in East Jerusalem, and this is not something new. It's been happening since 1948, but. For the first time, actually, the media and the international community um, opened their eyes and have been sharing the stories that have been going on for decades. Um, And and then as a result of that, Palestinian young people start protesting against these policies and uh, stopping these forces from happening. So what happened, basically, um, during Ramadan, a lot of clashes erupted at Al-Aqsa Mosque. Many people were injured because they were protesting against evicting families from Sheikh Jarrah. Um, And what happened, basically, um, the Israeli forces start arresting and shooting people and um, um, escalated the situation. And then after that, um, clashes happen across the West Bank and even in historic Palestine and in Gaza, um, in a response of what was happening in Jerusalem. And this has been happening for decades now. And growing up in Palestine and coming and talking about my own experience, we have lived this for for years. But the fact that the international community or the media were controlled and not sharing the real story from the ground, I found that this time things have been changing because a lot of influencer and the um, social media has been playing an important and a huge role in that, in showing the Palestinian story and the what we've been facing through in the past couple of years um i myself grew up um and during the second intifada and no one knows what was happening during that time because the media didn't cover any of these stories but during that time we were actually forced to stay in our homes and and the israeli forces imposes curfew on palestinian arresting anyone who would be engaged in any political um um activities or being influencers arresting people we were frightened to leave to leave our homes or or even um going around the west bank or visiting families and as a result of the second uprising the wall was built and a lot of checkpoints um um on the ground so to me this event and when the um when the situation escalated i start to look at it as the second Intifada, but this time is different. That the media was trying to cover and shed the light of what was happening.
0: Let's. Uh, I want to talk more about your experience having grown up in in this system and grown up under the occupation. And when we talk about um, things like the Sheikh Jarrah situation or you know police attacks on uh, people at Al Aqsa. Um, you know, I mean, I, I feel like I, I can sort of describe these things to people. I can say, you know, this is uh, you know unprovoked violence, or what's happening in Sheikh Jarrah is a, a you know blatantly blatant double standard, where one group of people is allowed to exercise its pre-1948 property claims, but the other is explicitly denied that um what i can't do though is is explain what that is like on a human level to live under that. uh can you talk a little bit about that for people and give 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 them a sense of m- not maybe you know the big things the gaza wars and the the sort of major events but like the daily life living under a system like that what 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 is it like?
2: Yes, of course. Um living under occupation And unfortunately, I have to say that when you live um, in Palestine, you start to see the abnormal as normal. And you realize that what is happening is violating of the human rights when you leave Palestine and then look and experience what, how does it feel to live in in a place where you have no oppression or or freedom of movement. So growing up in Palestine, um, of course, is tough. And I'm telling you from my own experience, um, when I grew up, I was born in Jordan and I moved to Palestine when I was 12 years old. Um, And I haven't experienced anything like the second Intifada where you have to move in between cities and facing checkpoints and not having the freedom of movement to move around. So if you're you're born as a Palestinian and living in the West Bank, you you don't have the permission to go to Jerusalem, for example, you you cannot move freely among Palestinian cities. Um, If you look at the the map of the West Bank, it's really the the land has strength and the segregation Road system will not allow you to move freely within or among different cities and villages. So growing, growing in Palestine was tough. And um, as a Palestinian woman, trying to make sense of what was happening, but at the same time tra- at the same time, trying to focusing on education and career and helping young people in order to find jobs. Because also the consequences of the occupation is not only on our day-to-day life, but also it has affected um, youth employment, um, economic um, um, development on the ground, Um, the agricultural sector, which was like one of our main sectors have been um, also affected by confiscating land, building the wall, controlling of the water resources. So if we think about all these challenges that have been facing, and especially that I work in development sector for the past 10 years, and we were working in order to be able to create job opportunities for young people, there is no development under occupation. If there are policies that hinder the development process and even to sustain our economy, you can't when you have certain policies that not allowing the Palestinian people in order to be able to um, have their own state or self-determination or even develop any um kind of sector. um so it is challenging. Uh, there are so many um policies that have been putting in place that put restriction on Palestinian, whether they are Palestinian who live in the West Bank or Palestinian who live in, in East Jerusalem and that's something also nobody know how nobody. Could understand how we have different travel documents, for example, as Palestinian living there or how we are treated unequally, even if you're Palestinian living in the West Bank or in Gaza or Jerusalem, we have different treatments and we're not being um, and we have different policies to deal with. So even if you want to think about improving the current situation, you need to Keep in mind that every area in the West Bank or in East Jerusalem or in Gaza is facing different kind of policies that is attacking the Palestinian people and limiting our opportunity in order to keep the development process going.
0: Having had the chance then to to go abroad and and kind of look at get a perspective on the way the west at least uh, kind of views this situation, um can you kind of i i I call it sometimes there there's like a gauntlet uh, that you're expected to run in in the United states if you want to talk about the Palestinian cause, you have to go through the, uh, you know, you have to swear that you uh, believe in Israel's right to self-defense, you have to condemn Hamas, you have to do, you know, all these steps to kind of uh, let everybody know that you're okay before you say anything about uh, the Palestinians. And I wonder um, if you encounter that sort of thing and and what your uh, kind of view is as you watch and again it's sort of blatant blatantly a double standard that's applied to this conflict which uh I'm sorry to draw this out but I mean we we saw that a few days ago very explicitly there was a, a, a state department briefing here in the US where a reporter asked the the Ned Price the spokesman for the state department you know you recognize that Israel has a right to self defense do the palestinians have a right to self defense and he couldn't articulate that basic human right he couldn't attribute that to the palestinians or say that they do um so i wonder you know sort of what what do you uh, encounter especially as somebody who's involved in organizing um you know has been involved in organizing you know just in the past couple of weeks uh what do you encounter and and how do you sort of deal with those those things
2: That's a very good question, and I'll here tell you about my personal story in uh, experiencing this in the States, actually, and how double standards the West sometimes could be. I received in 2016 Hubert Humphrey Fellowship um, in the state where I came to Minnesota to study public policy and also do affiliation in any organization. And uh, I did mine with the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, During that time, um, uh, the Senate House introduced a new bill about punishing anyone who would support the BDS movement. and it was to me shocking because according to the american constitution boycott is a freedom of choice and it's my choice to um, boycott anything that i feel like against my values or if i want to stop um putting money in a way that i feel conflicting with humanity and human and and even if we look at south africa Um, we know that the apartheid ended with the boycott. And to me, being in the state and seeing some policies introduced by the Senate House in order to block these movements, that non-violence movement that could pressure the Israeli government to end their occupation, made me realize why, whenever we talk about human rights violation, and I was there learning about democracy and justice, but when you bring Palestine to the table, people will not have the exact same narrative and they will start talking about different things. And and you can see the real face of of the West when it comes to Palestine and Israel. And that to me made me realize like, how can we influence people who are um, creating these policies in the States to maintain the occupation in my country? Because to me, it's not only Israel who's being... Um, accused and who's being part of this occupation and apartheid. It's also the international community who is not doing anything in, in order to stop these violations and uh, committing crimes against my people in Palestine. So when I worked with the ACLU, I realized like why we have to punish people who are demanding to boycott certain companies that's supporting the israeli forces that are committing crimes against humanity um, and we started a campaign and we work with grassroots movements in order to talk to people about it and how dangerous it is to punish people who are committed to bds and silencing people and how whenever you st- Start speaking about palestine you're being accused or criticizing the state of israel you're being accused and as anti-semitism which is really wrong whenever we're talking about palestinian rights this has nothing to do with no one would even speak about it as and it's not acceptable in the movement to be anti-semitism um actually palestine is the place if you look at it um before 1948 and before the Israeli state was established, many Jewish, Christian, and Muslim were living in peace um, in Palestine. So to me, these policies in the state, in these policies in the states are basically maintaining the status quo and helping uh, Israel to keep violating human rights.
0: I want to talk about, uh some of the things that you've seen happening over the past couple of weeks not so much the the violence and the the sort of uh conflict but some of the things that have emerged uh from that we saw um earlier this week a general strike among all palestinians across israel palestine um you know i've seen people you know, suggests that, you know, there's there's uh, this is a display of solidarity, you know, that that uh, hasn't been seen since the second intifada, something you've you've mentioned previously in the interview um, or even going all the way back to to sort of pre-1948 British mandate days. Um, I wonder what struck you, uh, you know, about uh, that movement, and we can get into the international response in a in a moment. But sticking, you know, specifically with sort of the outpouring of uh, kind of solidarity in uh, across Israel Palestine, and the organizing and the way that these protests have sort of featured a, I think, a younger generation of Palestinians. What what are the things that kind of stand out to you, uh, you know, emerging from this?
2: What made me feel so proud now and feel like for the first time things are changing and I can see and feel like there will be hope for the Palestinian cause and things will be changing in the future is to see Palestinian everywhere across 1948, across the West Bank and in Gaza, being together as one voice, united, chanting for our freedom and asking the international community to stand by them. And actually, I never seen this before, like for many years now to see the Palestinian youth activists and everyone being one voice and getting together in order to be able to pressure the international community to end the occupation. And what really made me feel so happy and proud of yesterday after the ceasefire most of the influencers, most of the young people who actually led this movement during the past 10 days, were writing that this is just the start and the beginning for us to get out of freedom because it's been for decades and people feel um, tired to keep living under the same circumstances, especially young people. If you look at it, they've been experienced two antifadas, they've been experienced humiliation, crossing checkpoints, not be able to free uh, to move freely in the country, um, being arrested for for sometimes just being Palestinian. You know what I mean? Like there is nothing wrong with what they've been doing. So if you keep oppressing the nation and young people, of course, there will be a point where people will be protesting against this oppressor and people will come along all together united in order to be able to fight the, to to fight for their freedom and justice and and change the status quo so what makes me feel so proud looking in the past 10 days that the Palestinian vo- voice was united everyone was chanting for the first thing we want justice we want freedom for our people and even Palestinian who live in diaspora Palestinian communities in in different places So many of them were like connected. So many of them put their effort together in order to protect the families in Sheikh Jarrah and advocate for them in order to force the international community to see what is happening is unacceptable anymore. We Palestinians cannot accept what is happening on the ground anymore. We cannot keep living the same thing and the world has to see and have to be able to say something about apartheid about colonization about the israeli actions against the palestinian people
0: taking this you know kind of uh outside of israel palestine to the international response and um you know here i think you know uh, i'd like you to talk a little bit more about uh the work you've been doing at oxford over the past couple of weeks and in general really um uh, have you seen anything in the international response sort of uh that gives you some hope for the future and i i you know this is a question that kind of comes in two parts uh there's the the human reaction the protests that have taken place the uh you know and uh, across the united states and in europe and and elsewhere around the world kind of uh you know really openly you know supporting the palestinian cause um, but then there's the government response at, at that level. And you know, governments in the West especially tend to be behind, uh, lagging behind the people on, on this issue in particular. Um, but there does seem to be, at least in the United States, there seems to be a little more uh, room uh, to talk about the underlying kind of issues of the occupation. And there are some uh, kind of younger politicians in the Democratic Party who are doing that. Um, do you do you see you know first I guess talk about your experience in in organizing but then uh, you know what has been your reaction overall to what you've seen?
2: Being away from my family and people during this time is really hard, and watching the news about bombing Gaza, killing the children, and affecting families is also hard and challenging. But It is, for me, time, and I feel very responsible to bring people together, mobilize people, educate people of what's happening, open their eyes, because many of them, they don't know what is happening, and they always get one side of the story from the media. So for me... To be in Oxford and being exposed to so many people coming from different parts of the world, I thought it's the time for me to take a step and bring people together, educate them, do something in solidarity with the Palestinian people, with my people, in order to feel like at least I'm doing the minimum from away. Because it's also hard and disturbing to be studying and seeing all these attacks without doing anything. So we tried to organize many protests across Oxford, um, conducting different events, educating people about certain things, in order to be able to um, talk to them about the current situation and what happened in the in the past. Um, not only now, but what has been happening for the past decades. Um, And to me, that is success. If we can reach out to people and tell them the Palestinian narrative that we were not able to tell from before, this is a success for me. Like, I can go back to Palestine feeling relieved that I at least have done my part here in Oxford, and many people will be even reaching out to know more. But also looking at the international community at this time and even checking influencers or... um, many other um, actors and actresses that have been posting things and increasing awareness about Palestine and what's what has been happening even football players um, or even uh, political figures in in the states um, or in England or in Europe made me realize that people are trying to get the message and trying And now, finally, people are seeing that what is happening is against human rights and it is committing crimes against the Palestinian people. So it gives me hope, even if we look at it now and we feel like, uh, yeah, we lost a lot of lives and, and and many things happened in the past couple of weeks. But honestly, if that's the way for us to educate people about what is happening so we can pressure the international community to pressure Israel to end the occupation, then we have no other option. We have been trying our best. Like Even if you look at the West Bank, non-violence protests, even people uh, in Jerusalem were praying, trying to um, hold peaceful uh, protests this but then the reaction was like arresting shooting
0: i want to get your sense of where the the overall israel palestine issue is gonna go from here and if there's any um if you have any takeaways from from the past couple of weeks that you think will sort of resonate in the future um you know it feels like at least in the short term, we're very much back to just the way things were previously. Um, Benjamin Netanyahu's political situation or pol- the risk to his prime minister, you know his hold on the prime minister's job seems to be diminished considerably, so he may be sticking around. Um, you know, Palestinian politics continued to be kind of internal. Palestinian politics continue to be uh, a bit of a mess um you know there will be an undoubtedly an international effort to rebuild gaza um uh, the biden administration's already talking about you know spending billions of dollars on this but i think we'll as usual sort of ignore the underlying issue that causes these things to uh, to flare up over and over again cuz we're not willing to have that conversation yet um, but uh, you you've talked about, you know, the sort of outpouring of of solidarity in Israel-Palestine, the international response. There seems to be some uh, change in the way that we talk about this issue. It, moving past the immediate future, which I don't think is terribly optimistic, but uh, into the sort of more distant future, do you feel like um, there is a chance that things could change, that the events of the past couple of weeks could have an impact on that. Uh, talk a little bit about that.
2: In my opinion, Israel as the occupying power must end the policies and, and practices that aim to discriminate Palestinians. Um, and without that, I don't think Palestinians need the money or what they need actually to get their freedom, in my opinion, to lift the closure on Gaza. Gaza, I know that the ceasefire now is being introduced, but and people were committed to pay money to rebuild Gaza, and this is of course important. But what is important is that to lift the closure and make sure people have their freedom to move and and practice their rights as any other human being. Um, this generation have. Witnessed two wars so far and closure. So, what do we expect from this generation in the future? If we really want to see a place where everyone lives in peace and justice, we need to change our policies. The Israeli has to change their policies against Palestinians. It's not about only this attack, Gaza has been under siege for many years. And from my own experience, I visited Gaza a couple of years ago and children deserve to have a normal life like any other children in the world and it's not about only the ceasefire it's about lifting the closure on Gaza, and of course make palestinians get their uh, right to freedom we can't keep fighting exactly the same thing we've been fighting since 1948 we we really we should pass this stage of um in our fight like even i to me, when I look at the Palestinian issue and what has been doing, everyone is condemning what is happening. And a lot of reports uh, now is published about apartheid and human rights violation. But how can we use these reports to change what is happening on the ground? And to honestly, what, what, when I see that Israel has Netanyahu as a leader, I don't think this gives me any hope that things will change in order for us to change these policies, the leadership of Israel has to change in order to see progress on the ground. Um, But again, in my opinion, and I don't know, I'm talking from my own experience that the international community, yes, they reacted this time, but it's not about only posting things on social media and publishing reports about that Israel is a state of apartheid and that they are committing crime is what are the actions to stop this human rights violation. It's requesting from the states, from England, from the international community to stop supporting the Israeli Defense Force, paying them money in order to kill Palestinian children. There are certain policies that has to be in place in order to make the change. It's not only about seeing this in the news or in the media, but what can the government in England, in or in in the states, what they have to do in order to be able to um, to stop human rights violation against Palestinians?
0: So, uh, I guess my last question then would be, um, you know, you are involved in organizing, you're involved in development work. Uh, people are going to listen to this and and want to know if there's some way that they can help in in whatever way possible what what are you know what are some things you know whether it's giving to to, uh causes or kind of getting politically active what would you tell people who want to help what what can they do
2: i would say um and urge every single person to educate themselves about what is happening in palestine don't get one side of the story and i urge every and whoever is listening to us today, as a Palestinian growing up under occupation and under apartheid, I urge everyone to reach out to Palestinians or anyone who have been living under occupation and ask them, how does it feel to live under occupation? How does it feel to live under apartheid? Um, and just ask them about their personal story. Get educated about the history and the, 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 the cause of the problem. Do not only be... Let me say it and and let me be um, trying to be uh, now (laughs) diplomatic in my answer. Like don't only listen to the Western media in order to get the Palestinian story. Reach out. And there are plenty actually of websites and and, um, um, recently with the social media platform there are so many pages and resources that people can go to it and get educated and know the story and also I urge everyone if they have the opportunity to travel to the West Bank and see what is happening because I know there are a lot of trips that encourage um, birthright trips that takes a lot of uh, Jewish people or Americans to see Israel as the most democratic state in the Middle East. But I urge these people, when they go there, just try to go to the West Bank as well and get the clear picture about what's happening. And this could be an eye-opener for everyone. Like, I really urge the international community to increase awareness, reach out to people, mobilize people, have these discussions. I know it's a complex situation, and I know it's been since 1948, but we cannot ignore the fact that we have to talk about it in order to see the change in the future um there are plenty of resources for anyone who would like to be educated about it
0: okay on that note uh darin hussein again uh, university of oxford um, somebody who grew up in the west bank and and lived this experience thank you so much Uh, for coming on the, the, the show and, you know, giving people some of your perspective.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who's listening. And thank you, Derek, for your time.
0: Okay, that is all for us this week. Uh, once again, I would like to thank Sandra Tamari, Executive Director of the Adala Justice Project. Uh, and I would also like to thank Doreen Hussein uh, of Oxford uh, for coming on the program and offering some of their um, direct experience and you know for talking about the work that they're trying to do to shift the discussion on Israel-Palestine. Um, Uh, We'll obviously keep monitoring this story. Hopefully the ceasefire in Gaza will hold, but that is obviously only the tip of the iceberg as far as this uh, ongoing crisis occupation uh, is concerned. As always, thanks to you for listening, and uh, until next time, take care, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.